Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Friday, October 27th. Getting ready for Clemson's trip to Raleigh to meet NC State on Saturday. I think the best thing we've done at Tiger Illustrated this week is Paul Strelo's analysis and insight in his uh, football insiders. He's done multiple of them, and they've just been fantastic. And I don't, I really, I don't think you can find that type of insight and command of the subject matter anywhere else, like not even close. And I think our readers and subscribers would wholeheartedly agree with that. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our interview with Eric McLean, who is in such an interesting position with his job being to call it like he sees it, and doing that with Clemson is a lot harder than, than it used to be. Really good stuff here going inside the mind of Eric and his process. Here we go. All right. Joined by Eric, the Eric McLean. How you doing, man? Man, I'm just living the dream, brother. I've made it. I'm on the podcast with you. Uh, I appreciate the invite. Wish that the uh, circumstances were better. Uh, but here we are talking about, uh, you know, the Clemson Tigers and uh, just this crazy ACC season, man. So I'm curious and kind of jealous. You told me, you texted me, you said you had to walk over to your studio. I don't, ha- I don't have a studio, Eric. I have a basement. Um, I just want to hear what, 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 what is, what, what, what is your setup like over there? Yeah, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Same thing, man. Same thing. Uh, so we have a, uh, we, we have a garage, um, and it's a really cool, like multi-purpose room directly behind it. Like, so just kind of a, the exact same type of space and layout as my kind of garage. And then there's a door back to this other room. And when we moved in here, you know, it was just uh, cinder block and studs in the ceiling. And, you know, I kind of just looked at it and said, man, this would be awesome uh, to finish this out, put up some, some drywall finishings floor and, you know, really make kind of like my, my office studio and, and workout room. And, uh, you know, it's something where I was hopeful to do it before the baby was born. And you know how that goes. Uh, and time really <laughs> escapes from you very quickly. Uh, but then, you know, in a, about three months after she was born, man, I was able to knock this thing out. And it's been it's been amazing to, to be able to do TV back here, radio, podcasts, um, just because my voice is too dang um loud, man, to be in that house doing this <laughs> stuff while I've got a sleeping baby. <laughs> and this is in Charlotte? Uh, actually, we moved to Columbia when we found out that my wife, Kaki, was pregnant. So her, oh. her family's here. And uh, my parents are down the road in Sumter. So we've been in Columbia for, for going on two years now. What part of Columbia? Well, dude, we're right downtown. We're right in, uh, in Shandon. So Chicken City, uh, thank goodness they sucked this year too. And uh, it hadn't been too hard, but they beat us last year, of course. So they've had that over my head for, for almost 365 now. <laughs> I, I grew up in Shandon 
And oh, really? I, that We're on is, Woodrow. We're right on Woodrow. That I, I don't know if it's just my just nostalgia or what, but I I will always believe that is just one of the classic neighborhoods, one of the all time cool neighborhoods anywhere. No, no question, man. Super walkable. Uh, a bunch of different looking houses, great people. Um, and divine, I mean, divine street has developed so much right here where we are now. It's been, it's been awesome. So no question. We are lucky to, to be in this neighborhood. Yeah. I went to Rosewood elementary, went Did to really? hand middle school. My, wow. gra- my I grandma, right beside hand. I can, okay. I can throw a football and hit hands like playground right now. Well, I once threw a rock from that playground during recess and hit a car and got into big trouble. I mean, I was a terrible kid. I'm I'm dead serious. It was awful, awful. I would wring my freaking neck if I Jeez. if 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 uh, if I could uh, back in the seventh grade, Larry. So. Oh man. Um, well, I, I'm I'm fascinated to hear about your process. By the way, how old is your baby girl? She just turned a year uh, late September, September twenty second. Okay, and what does your wife do? Uh, she is in uh, commercial real estate in the industrial side. Um, and funny enough, before uh, Amelia was born, she was kind of on the selling side and would travel and do all this stuff and, and you know, look at land visits and, and check out sites and do all of that. But since, uh, you know, priorities kind of changed quickly. Uh, and, and so she kind of moved to the HR, accounting, uh, PR, she kind of does all the behind the scenes now, uh, her and, and the great team that she's a part of. And so she does go in the office two days a week and I've got daddy daycare. So you're live right now. If you, if you hear a crying start <laughs> happening, just know I got a sprint to go get that baby. <laughs> I know the feeling actually when, when we had infants, um, my wife wasn't working. So I was able to sort of still do my job without a whole lot That's of interference. Right. So this is. Uh, well, I will say, I will say, if and when number two comes, she'll probably she'll probably hanker down. But I told her, hey, whatever, however long you want to work, you got it. Um, and I, I think that's when she'll make that decision. Now. So your your day your daily process. I, I just want to yeah. hear this. All right. So just to 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 enlighten listeners who don't know, you you have the the what what are the hours of the podcast with Kelly? Yeah. So it really, you know, since uh, not only my child has been born, but since she has had her baby boy, uh, flexibility has been key for the Gramlick and McLean podcast. It is uh, something where we used to have a very nice, uh, never changing schedule to now. Uh, I can get a text five minutes before <laughs> that says, hey, I need to push back, <laughs> you know, and yeah. vice versa. I can send that to her, uh, you know, just on a whim. And um, the good thing is that we we both our families are going through this at the same time. So we kind of, you know, totally understand each other and, and all that stuff. But typically, man, in, in football season, we do three episodes a week uh, that release on Monday, which is kind of a recap of, of the weekend and you know, really a, a heavy episode because everybody kind of want to know what, what happened to my team. Why were we so bad or so good? Um, and then Wednesday, we try to do a big guest episode kind of, you know, centered around what we think is, is a game of the week or a big, impactful game um and those always have great success and we can really tap tap into a bunch of different fan bases and then friday's kind of just a preview of what we think is going to happen we do picks um and and those are typically recorded the day before uh but again like with guests we can do it anytime sunday to tuesday night um and then that friday episode just kind of depending on each other's schedule uh we kind of do that there so that's one factor uh then sirius xm radio uh, eight to eleven um, on on Mondays and Wednesdays uh, in the morning has been a lot of fun hanging out with Roddy on Mondays and then on Wednesdays uh, we call it three wide radio uh, with with West Durham kind of driving the car and you know EJ and I sitting shotgun there um, and then TV which you know this little TV thing uh, you know it, it works its way in there as well kind of random in the week if if I go on to like college football live or, or do some ACC PM. Uh, but typically it, it, you look at, you know, travel early Friday morning, normally do some shows from site Friday, whatever school we're at. Um, and then all day long Saturday from, from 11 to about 1 AM. So it's full speed ahead. And, uh, man, it, it's, it's the greatest time of my life doing all this stuff. Are you on baby duty during your morning at Sirius eight, eight to 11 shows during the week? Only Tuesday, Thursday is my daddy daycare. So 
Um, I have nothing Tuesday, Thursdays. You know, I, I was lucky to squeeze you in here, brother. This is a real, this is a real treat right here. <laughs> and, by, uh, and, and we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, to sort of repay some of that. We'll mention your Ingles sponsor, by the way. No, my man, podcast. come on, baby. <laughs> by the way, Major Ching just happened. <laughs> I, I, I live. 300 yards from the Ingles in Clemson and I go there 19 I go there 19.5 times a week um, yes. and so yes I'm a, I'm a patron for sure big supporter of your sponsor that's, that's the one hey that's the one I grew up going to man in Clemson we went there because uh, we lived off Issaquina over in yep. uh, Chimney. Uh, I don't know what yeah. it's called now. Yeah. I call that anymore. Uh, but that's where that's where we would always go. So it's so funny. It was such a full circle moment for me when that uh, partnership did arise and now has been such a great thing for us. Um, and, and they're amazing and you know really help us do some some cool stuff. What is this? Okay, how many years have you been doing this with the ACC Network? This is my fifth football season. So your um, first so- was the year after Clemson won the Natty the 19, 19 where they played uh, LSU and the Natty. Yep. What has it been like? I mean, obviously you have the gift of gab. You were always approachable and, and, and one of the best quotes on the team when you were a player, but still there has to be a lot of knowledge that you have to gain only through going through it. Yeah, no, no there's no question, man. It's, it's something that, you know, it is kind of funny and, and obviously you have a, a different and unique perspective because you, you saw me before all of it. And we, you know, would talk and, and do all the different things on, uh, you know, during the week as when I was a player. Um, and, you know, during that time, whether it was, you know, on the radio with Phil Pot uh, and, and Ben, or if, if I was talking with, you know, Marty Smith would come to town for a feature or something or, or, or Herb Street and Fowler, um, the game day guys, you know, uh, God, who are the other guys? College Football Live came a couple of different times when we were, you know, making our first playoff run. I was just always the guy that would, you know, be told to go talk. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Even before I really was a full-time starter, you know, I I remember Tim Beret would ask me to do a bunch of stuff. And um, I loved it and always took full advantage of it. And just, you know, kind of in the back of my mind, you know, surely there's days where you're like, oh, man, you know, I have to do this. But I always kind of thought, this will lead to something. I don't know what, but there might be a CEO, a business owner, you know, TV, whatever, watching this and be like, man, I like that guy. You know, I'd love him to work for my company. Um, and so I tried to always have that mindset that when I'm talking to, you know, you guys, the media, that, you know, that was kind of my platform to, to create whatever message I wanted and, and try to articulate the best of where our team was and what we were doing, but also to sell myself and, uh, you know, just try to put myself on any pedestal I could. So I always kind of had that in in my mind. But, you know, those same guys that I mentioned always kind of told me, hey, you, you'd be good at this once you're done playing if, if you're interested. And I always kind of brushed it off, Larry, because I knew what it would take. You know, I knew the hours and, and the film and the travel and being away and, you know, just being a young guy and, and growing up in, you know, an Air Force family where unfortunately my dad was gone and had to go overseas. And, and I missed, you know, a major things in my life. You know, I, I didn't want to have the potential for that. Um, now, what I do right now is not comparable at all to, to a deployment, but, you know, just the fact of, of the p- possibility and potential of missing something was something that I, I just, you know, didn't want. And so I always brushed it off, said, no, you know, it's fun as a hobby. It's fun as a former player from time to time to talk to somebody, you know, but I don't think I'll ever pursue it. Um, and then to fast forward to that, you know, 2018 national championship where Clemson just absolutely drags Alabama, uh, 44 to 16, uh, I get a call and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been doing radio at that time, um, in my sales job with JMI sports and, and, you know, had some media experience with that. Uh, and, and then I get a call from ESPN and long story short, basically, you know, they asked me to fly up to Bristol and see if I want to be a part of this team. And, uh, it was something that was so blindsided. I mean, I blacked out when they asked me that. Mm. I just had no clue that that was coming. Um, was very happy in Greenville, South Carolina, you know, doing sales and, and marketing and, you know, really excited, but, you know, just felt like God put this in front of me for a reason. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that not that I was actively avoiding, but I was not pursuing in any shape or fashion. Um, and, and so once it did, it was kind of like, okay, th- th- this is happening for, for some type of reason. And then to fast forward where I am today, man, the, the film study, 
the uh, you know prep, calling coaches, trying to talk to players. The podcast helps me immensely um, kind of build and, and develop these relationships. I'm watching more film than I ever did as a player, you know, and, and trying to study. And, you know, just because I do, I, I want to be great. I want to be one of the best ever. And I, I think that, that that's what it takes to be able to kind of tell you tendencies and what should happen. And the crazy at the crazy point of the day, though, this is college football, and you just never know. I mean, guys have bad days. Coaches have bad days. Weather affects it. The ball doesn't bounce the right way. Um, stuff happens. But with kind of the, the, the detail and the film and, and the conversations, man, it, it's been so fun. But it, it is. It, it's a ton of work, and, and a lot goes into it. I had David Pollock on the podcast about a month ago. And one of the most interesting things he said about his process, his prep, his obviously watched a ton of film back when he was with ESPN. He said he never talked to coaches. Mm. And I said, well, why not? He said, because I want to, I don't want to have to worry about something that I say. I want to, I want my opinion to be truly authentic with no strings Mm. attached. And I can say whatever I want to say, and I can learn (laughs) all I need to know through film. And I I just, that was really, I guess, interesting slash refreshing to me. You know, I mean, it's a really sort of deep thing uh, philosophically. Um, But I was just sort of taken by that because I know if I were in that position, I'd be talking to as many coaches as I could just because I want to learn, you know. (laughs) Then then again, I'm not as smart as uh, X's and O's as as you or David Pollock. So um, just goes to show you that how differently – people's approaches as they as they try to attack that no doubt and that's a i mean that's a solid point because there's no question that um you know before i speak uh i do think uh you know about okay i'm gonna run into this guy again and i'm gonna need something from this guy you know how critical do i want to be um and i think at the end of the day just my nature and kind of being a guy that that obviously did play the game and and has been in those shoes good or bad um you know, I, I, I kind of know how to walk that line of I can get my point across without attacking the person or without attacking the kid. Um, you can be critical on the situation um, or, or, or give, you know, thoughts on, on what happened without saying, you know, this guy's just an idiot. This guy stinks like he doesn't know what he's doing. There's ways around kind of all of that. But that is fascinating because there's no question. Uh, I, I definitely think about that before uh, before you say anything. Well, that's a good transition into sort of your your role sort of some of the sensitivities as as we're talking about about a Clemson program that is not 29 and 0 that is not yeah. uh dragging Alabama off the field that is not going to the national championship that is 4 and 3 and so I'm just I really would love to learn more about sort of how you approach that your alma mater not just that but people your former coach yeah. you know people you have you love dearly, but you still have a job to do. No doubt. And one thing that sticks out to me is at halftime of the Charleston Southern game, I'm sitting there in the press box after that just disastrous first quarter, and I I always listen. I try to listen to the to the broadcast if I can, and they go straight to you guys. I forgot where y'all were, maybe Miami, um, or I think Tallahassee. Y'all were in Tallahassee, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But you said this is just embarrassing. And yeah. <laughs> and I tweeted it. I mean, because when Eric McLean, a former player, you know, says something like that, you know, that's that's newsworthy, no doubt. And so, how do you approach that? That just in yeah. general. Yeah, I, I think it's um, there are moments, uh, and, and again, probably the last you know two three years in particular where you know I, I do have to kind of take a second and, and you know re- remember. Um, you know, you're not just a fan. You're not just a former player. Um, you know, what you say will, will carry some weight. And, and that, that doesn't always necessarily stop me from doing something or saying something. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think people like kind of that vulnerability. Um, I, I think they like the aspect of the day that, yes, EJ went to FSU. Yes, Eddie Royal went to Virginia Tech. Yes, Mark Rick loves Georgia, loves Miami, was played at Miami. Um, yes, Eric McLean loves Clemson. Um, and, and I think that there is something about that where people, people like that human element of it. And, and so, you know, for me, it's, it's always, I probably could tweet a lot more about how I feel in certain moments and, and, you know, put that out there with different things. Um, 
But at that moment, man, there was just so much that it was happening. And that those six quarters of football were so bad that I'm just sitting there like, what is going on? Like, this is the craziest thing that I've ever seen. This is not, you know, the program that, you know, I was at, that I was a part of, that I helped build, um, that went on to do way greater things than I ever did while I was there. Um, And so that was frustrating. And so that all kind of came out with that halftime, you know, kind of rant there. And, you know, I I don't think anything was wrong with that. I think it was all very true. And, you know, what, what stinks is Clemson went away from that for a couple of games and now has found itself relatively square back in the middle of that. And, and it's the most bizarre thing, man, because I, I think there's you know so many different reasons uh, as to why these things are happening, but but the, the why is occurring because they're all happening at the same time. And, and you know there's this conglomerate of you know just stuff where people are just, you know, how, how did you get to this point? And, you know, I think it's unfortunate and, and that there's certainly things that, that will hopefully be done and can be done. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, I think that the most frustrating part of it all is that as much as people want to place blame on, on coach Dabo Sweeney or, or a coordinator or a play call or whatever, coach Sweeney ain't fumbling the ball in the one yard line. Coach Sweeney isn't making an errant throw or deciding to pull a ball when a run is called. He he's not missing a tackle. He's not run fitting incorrectly. And so I, I do think that there is a bit of perspective and ownership that has to unfortunately go to these players of you're the man in the arena and, and you're the one that can solve the problem. So it, it is a fascinating thing, but you know, at, at the end of the day, the man that will take the blunt of the blame is the head coach. You know, there's a reason he's paid so high. There's a reason that he makes the decisions. And, you know, he's earned all of that. And with that comes criticism. But yet, this is a coach and a program that hasn't exactly been welcoming of criticism, I guess we could say. Like, you know, so I don't want to say they're sensitive, but I mean, like, let's say like Ben Boulware goes off on WCCP. I'm guessing he's going to get a call from the football offices, not from Dabo, but from somebody saying, "Hey, man, like, what's up? Like, why, why, why are you doing this? I'm, what, what do you? And I know, like, if I wrote something, I'm, I have to be critical, especially sure. during these times. And if I write something that's particularly critical, I know when I show my face that next day at the press conference, and <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, is is. <laughs> Somebody, you got, a late, you got a red dot somewhere falling. Yeah, <laughs> I know that there's a risk of somebody pushing back. Maybe even the sure. head coach, you know, at a press conference saying, "Yeah, Larry thinks this," and and that's all part of the deal. Like that's, sure. I, I, if I, uh, if if I have the 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 guts and the platform to to publicly say something about them, then they can use their platform. No and microphone to 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 push back, and there's a give and take, and there's no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just curious right. in, with your role and your background. You, I mean, like when you said this is embarrassing, was there any pushback, any blowback? I mean, you had to come back to Clemson for yeah. which which game was it? Um, the, the very next week. The very next <laughs> week. That's right. Six days later, I was, later, I was I there. Was, I was fascinated <laughs> thinking about you that week. Yeah. Um, no. I, I mean, I I think that. Uh, I don't think that I've ever said anything or, or done anything that, that's probably as off the wall as others um, in regards to criticism. But yeah, a- after you know, I said that, no, I, I didn't hear anything or no corrections or anything like that. And, and I do think that, um, you know, Coach Schwein and I have such an open dialogue and relationship, not where it's like a, a daily or weekly thing, but, you know, we talk enough to where, you know, I, I think that number one, he understands my role and, and number two, just the respect and, and love that I have for him. It's just, you know, it's all business. There's, there's never anything personal or I don't think anyone really ever feels that way. I don't, but they might, that day might come. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he really has an issue with the local guys like me or the regional guys like you, especially somebody like you who's so vested in the program. I think the sure. people who really grate his nerves are more of the uh, national sort of drive-by hot take artists, you know, right, where exactly. they, they can just like say something for some clicks in the more, yeah. without even really, you know, looking at both sides of the issue. Is that the feeling right. you get as well? Oh, yeah, man. And that, I mean, drives me crazy too, especially um, not just Clemson, but any school. I mean, just when, when people say and do things for, like you said, clicks or likes or whatever, 
I mean, it's, it's so blatant. And it's just like, why do we as a society feed into it? Like we know what the purpose is, why, why give it any type of, of interaction, but that's just where we are. And, and yeah, it's frustrating, man, especially, you know, when, when there's, you know, people get my, get upset with what I'm saying, but when, when you've never been in that locker room and to critique somebody as harshly and, and as, you know, just kind of over the top as some people do, man, it, it's, you just you have no clue how hard it is to win a football game and what goes into that and you know literally a ball bouncing the wrong way everything that you planned for everything you thought everything can be orchestrated perfectly and yet that ball will bounce a weird way and you can lose and it's it's devastating it's difficult it's hard and you know that's one thing that I do love so much about our desk and and the people that I work with is we have all been in all those locker rooms for for great moments national championships um and brutal awful embarrassing losses you know we we've been a part of it and can relate to any situation so you know there's never really um you know, that this overarching criticism where you hear from us that, again, as I kind of mentioned, that's attacking. I mean, we're, we're critical to situations, not to people. And, and I think that that's the, you know, at the end of the day, why, uh, why I enjoy what I do with these people so much. When Greg McElroy was uh, at the Florida State Clemson game, working that game, I saw him uh, in the press box and I stopped him and I personally thanked him for the way he does his business. I'm a, I'm a regular yeah. listener to his podcast. It's a smart, educated X's and O's, yeah. you, know, no you, know, you know, you know, fully, um, genuine opinion. And there's another way to do that. And that is, you know, like nothing against Paul Feinbaum for his business model, but it is a business model. And it's basically yeah, like, that's right. you know, it's like I'm a columnist somewhere and I write such and such needs to be fired now, you know, then Paul's right. going to have me on his show to say, right. Oh, exactly. what, what, let's talk about that. You know, and that's, right. that's what drives <laughs> that. And so I just, um, I just don't know if I could look myself in the mirror if that were my, <laughs> now, I don't know, man, if I'm making 20, I don't I know how much say, fine hey, ball Paul, makes. Paul wakes up every day and wipes his eyes with hundred dollar bills. He's just fine. He's just fine. <laughs> very, very, very good point. But, but I tell you though, Eric, when I hear, when I hear, uh, Feinbaum on say being interviewed in a different setting where people are asking him about his background and life and all that. Yeah. It's a totally different persona and he's a really smart guy. Um, it, I mean, and, and you just don't get the sense that he's that type of person. You just get the yeah. sense that it's his shtick. Um, but yeah, again, it's, said- just, it's entertainment. I mean, it's strictly, it's strictly entertainment, good or bad. Uh, you know, it, it's a hot button and, you know, I, I could probably sit here and say the same thing about Stephen A. Smith. You know, we had him on our show uh, when we were down at, at Miami, uh, and, and it was amazing. You know, and and you know, I, I love him as an entertainer. Some people don't. Some people do. And uh, but the, at the end of the day, I tried to go into our interaction and him coming on our show with no expectations because I, I never met him. I had no clue how he was off of camera. Um, and man, he came there early. He was with us for about two hours before we were on TV, chopping it up. Very normal person for ESPN's highest paid, you know, talent, millions and millions of followers. And he was just a regular guy, man. And, and I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, people like that, uh, you know, kind of in that entertainment slash reporter slash host, whatever, you know, realm, understand the, the the role that they have to play and they understand how to to get people fired up and and to win is far enough when can they push a little bit more and you know like i said at the end of it all man that that's what they're for entertainment and uh you know they're, they're very successful both those guys love them or hate them i have listened to a couple of podcasts with Stephen a interviews of him uh to talk about the book that he wrote and i've gained a lot more respect for him just yeah. hearing him yeah. hearing him with his you know in that casual sort of non-hot take, you know, yeah, sort of vibe. Right. <laughs> that dude works his ass off. I mean, no works question. harder than anybody. Um, yeah, no doubt. All right. So uh, the, the what's the – I'm going to – I guess I have my answer to this. I'm going to ask you the most disturbing thing you saw at the Miami game. <laughs> uh, there were there were plenty to choose from, but sure. uh, I, I want to hear your answer first. You know, honestly, it, it was probably – the, the defense getting worked, um, you know, because we, we've, we've been to the midpoint of the season, 
you know, offensively as sad as it is to admit, like we know what they are and we know that you can't expect much and you got to think that when things are going good, something bad's going to happen. So that was a relatively typical performance. I thought uh, from the offense, I was very disappointed that the defense gave up a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter and that in overtime and in the end of that fourth quarter, absolutely could not stop the run looked tired got bullied uh you know by a good offensive line like don't get me wrong those guys are very you know experienced and great and you know there's some real talent over there um but when you have a backup quarterback uh and you don't pressure them you don't hit them uh, i didn't think that clemson sent a lot of pressures i could be wrong i don't have that data in front of me uh but i, I just didn't love uh, the defensive game plan or effort for a majority of the game. And he threw it, what, 34 times? Zero sacks on 34 attempts? That's crazy to me, um, especially with a Clemson defense and the amount of talent uh, that the Tigers have on that side of the ball. So for me, man, that was where it was like, oh, man, I haven't seen this really all year. Maybe the Duke game a little bit. Um, but this was a really weird, just not good effort defensively. In their defense, a lot of that was quick game, short underneath stuff. But I think you, I mean, I think your point is, man, vintage Clemson devours that type of situation yeah. with a backup, fresh, true freshman quarterback coming into there. Yeah. Yeah. No question. My most disturbing sight was Nate Wiggins taunting. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Another player, when the player really wasn't giving it back at all. Right. <laughs> After you make a third down stop, I, Eric, they were a whisker away from losing yeah. off of that. Right. Off of a right. off of a freaking taunting penalty. Yeah, 15 yarder automatic first down. Yeah. Which is two That's minutes bizarre. left in, in regulation. Right. By the way, and and you are getting housed and they're making they're picking on you. Like they're throwing it at you on purpose. I just it, it wasn't a good cool look. And he's and he's hurt. He's injured. I mean, it was it was baffling to me. I, and maybe the guy said something. I don't know. I mean, maybe pre snap or lining up or whatever. Maybe he called him a name or talked about his mom. I have no clue. But that was weird to see. And we were right there. Like I was. I mean, I could smell his breath while he was talking. We were right there on top of it. And uh, I was just like, "What are you doing? This is a terrible look." I have a friend of mine said, yeah, well, the receivers were taunting Wiggins the whole game. And I'm like, I have seen plenty of Clemson games over the years where the other team is trying to get into the head of Clemson's players, but I've never right. seen a Clemson player do that. It's usually the other team's players that are right. melting down in a big right. moment like that. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre, man. Add it to the list. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, no, number, number one, a for me, of course, is the final play. Yeah. I'm still confused. Yeah. I'm confused yeah. because yeah. and I want to I want to consult your football knowledge here and wisdom. Okay. A run all the way like you you're in a timeout before that play. Mm -hmm. Is it normal to say, "All right, give it to Shipley no matter what?" I mean, you don't know what kind of look you're going to get. They could overload yeah. to one side and you would get, right. give give me give me your take on that. Right. Well, you know, and it is interesting. I think you you would either message me, text me. Um, I think just about kind of the the what followed that, and, and when he pulled it, and and you know, Shipley not immediately looking back or whatever. Um, and you know, what's bizarre to me is, and I'm very grateful that this didn't happen because I was going to go on TV right after that and, and just kind of grill uh coach and and riley coach riley and and say to these guys why do you keep allowing this young man to make decisions like uh, he he's kind of shown right now that, that he just can't handle it run the football hand it off and then you know luckily for me i didn't get that opportunity it comes out either later that night or the next day that that it was a run and so to me man i i, I certainly think that in those situations uh, that it was the, the the short yardage game on the line need it right now. You've got to man up. You've got a bow. I don't care if there's 12 guys on that side, Larry, we have as an offensive line have to get this yard. We have to get this inch and score this touchdown, whatever the result, whatever the cost is to do it. So that's why I do think that it was a true run. Now I would like to also take that a step further and, and ask, 
why was Clemson's heavy package not on? Do they have a heavy package? You know, when, when we were playing, we would put multiple offensive line and defensive line out there and t- big tight ends. We didn't spread it all out. Miami's already showing that they're going to stack the box as much as possible. So that eliminates the competitive advantage of spreading the defense out because they're not going to respect it and do that. Um, so I thought that was weird. Um, and, and then just the decision to pull it, if it was truly, which, I mean, everyone said that. I, I have no reason to believe it wasn't. It was a true give. Cade hadn't ran away from anybody all night, and he no, tried. He tried did. to get to the end. And he just – he. It, this isn't high school. Guys are, are going to hawk you down. And, and you know, it, it, you're not Lamar Jackson. You're not th- this burner that can just get to the edge and, and be this crazy difference maker. And I, he has to get that mindset out. And even, I mean, he ran into a linebacker and a safety over the top. Like, it was just a horrible read if it was a read. Um, and so all that to say, man, it, it's a lot of things compiling quickly. Um, I wish it would have been under center. I wish it would have been a heavy package and you just go mano a mano and get it done. But, you know, Clemson doesn't really do that. And so that's what, what led to that horrific play. <laughs> well, the thing is, Eric, I mean, they, 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 against Wake, they brought out the heavy package with, uh, Rook and, um, I guess Tyler, oh, did. That's Tyler right. Davis yeah. and it didn't work. Yeah. They got stuffed back to back plays. Yeah. And they also, people are like, what do they have? The tush push in the playbook and under center. Well, they did that against Florida State for a touchdown, barely. I mean, I'm talking yeah, barely. Yeah. They did it against uh, Florida Atlantic for a touchdown, barely. And that is what this sort of crystallized for me this week as I'm going back and watching some of the previous short yardage difficulties. It's the offensive line, man. Like, yeah, it, yeah, they're it, playing bad. If 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 the offensive line is what we thought it would be mm-hmm. going into the year. And I'm talking not great. Mm-hmm. I'm talking good enough for their running game to be consistently dependable. Yeah. Then that makes Cade's job easier in, oh, yeah. in so many ways. That means you're not um, – I, I tell you, Eric, if you go back and look, there have been so many times where even ha- when they have scored inside the five – it's taken them like three downs to do it. Oh yeah, no, no question. It's man. been way what, too hard. Yeah, that that's what's just is so bizarre to me, and and just something that man, you have to take pride at that, and, and kind of the mindset that I laid out for you of of I don't care what they have to the right or left side, like we have to get this done. Um, you also have to have the personnel to do that. You also have to have the guys that also believe that, uh, and and just have the mindset to go and do it, and for whatever reason, just Clemson has not been successful in that short yardage in general has been bad, you know, for the Tigers this year. And and it is a big part of that it is guys up front, not getting any push, not getting to the second level um, and, and just getting bullied. And, and so it, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, I assumed and thought there would be more of a, you know, kind of a growth and gelling of this group, but then you throw in some injuries, you throw in, you know, who know, I mean, I saw a dude running out there with no gloves, no <laughs> wristbands, no tape. And I'm like, who the heck is this playing at, at guard? And no offense to him, but just, I mean, you look different than everybody else on the field. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's bizarre what they're, what they're going through right now. And I know I've said that a couple of times, but it is truly this perfect storm of all these little things adding up to, to just this, you know, not great season. Now can Clemson turn it all around? Maybe, but you know, it's going to take a lot. You know, it's, it's not just going to magically happen. I think you said at halftime of the Miami game, uh, looking back, of course, at uh, uh, Shipley's fumble in the end zone and then Cade fumbled in the second quarter, you said this is who they are. It's just who yeah. they yep. are. And I think we talked about this about three weeks ago, maybe going to the Florida State game, and that was sort of our suspicion then was that, okay, what we saw against Duke and Charleston Southern, those aren't really fluky things because right. they keep happening. They happened late last year with a ton of fumbles yep. and the detail things are just consistently getting overlooked. Is that, the, is that what you feel is that this is just is that the, somehow the de- the details are, are slipping through the cracks? Yeah. And it's just, it's something where, Man, protecting the ball was, was such a premium. I mean, I, I played tight end for a couple years, and, and even in the offensive line room, we knew uh, B.I.J., ball in jeopardy. We, we tracked it. We ran for it. 
got punished for it. I mean, it was a big deal. And, and I'm not in those meeting rooms now. I'm not in, uh, you know, th- those those film sessions. And I don't know, you know, the emphasis. I, I can't imagine that it's not. But something isn't correlating. Something isn't translating to the field from, you know, the meeting rooms or the film room or, or even the practice field. Uh, you know, because the things that I saw in camp, the the, the explosive nature, um, you know, the edge. It's just now. Listen, there's a lot of different things that go into to play with that, and obviously, it's it's a real life game, but. Um, it's bizarre, man. And, and that was something that was always, you know, driven home for us of, of protecting that football. And if you didn't, guess what? You didn't play. Uh, you know, you're going to sit down and, and, and watch uh, if you can't protect that football. And, you know, I just don't know if, if Clemson's not in, in position to do that or, you know, what the case is. But leading the, the world in fumbles is, is not good. Not a good stat to be number one and, and something that obviously you can, can relatively control. Um, and, and it just has to improve, man, because, you know, you, you are giving points away. I think Clemson has had, man, five, maybe, uh, you know, drives or plays, whatever you want to call it, first downs from three yards and in and hasn't scored on five. I mean, that's, yeah. that is nuts, man. Not, not, not just, you know, not touchdowns, not scored because of, of turnovers. And then of course, you know, next plays have been big plays and massive plays against the defense. So, it is uh it is certainly a massive thing for this team right now. Earlier this week I charted the number of times when Clemson has been inside opponents twenty five and they've had either mm. a tackle for loss or a penalty. Fourteen tackle oh, I'm sorry, four yeah, fourteen tackles for loss and five penalties in seven games. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like that's just it's bad. let's go back to camp because you spent three days here. And you were extremely encouraged by the offensive line. And the people I was talking to were very encouraged by what seemed to be uh, an identity being developed by this offense. Like, nobody was saying it was going to light the world on fire and score 45 points a game. But it just was a feeling of refreshment, of a new, new life. And I'm talking even people who, inside the program, who entering last two seasons, entering 21 and 22, we're like, man, I just don't know. I don't yeah. know about, I don't know about DJ. I mean, well, I'm not talking sunshine, you know, full sunshine pumpers. I'm talking realistic sure. people. We're like, we're not going to have the same problems we had last, the last two years. Cade's going right. to be the guy and we're going to be able to run the ball. What the hell happened? Yeah. It, it, it's, I can't tell you other than, you know, Clemson obviously doesn't practice going live a ton. And when the game, you know, is is real, that's short yardage where people are trying to win, uh, they're able to get the ball out. I mean, that's the only factor that, you know, could not be kind of taken in from from watching and, and of course, injuries since then. Uh, but, I, man, I, I did. I saw an edge. I, I saw short yardage drill that was relatively even between, you know, the defense getting good push and then the next rep – you know, the offense winning and, and guys competing and, you know, just really battling each other. Um, and, and that was something that for the past two years I, I didn't see. I mean, I saw the defense whipping those guys uh, and, and no push and, and not being able to sustain, you know, drives in a two-minute situation or, or, you know, kind of a third down, whatever type of situational scrimmage they were doing. Um, Cade was making great decisions. You know, obviously quarterbacks do not get hit, uh, you know, in practice. Um, so there's a little bit of that freedom, but, you know, Clemson was pushing the ball downfield and having vertical threats and just, you know, it was something where I was like, okay, now this could be really fun. Uh, and then we get to that Duke game and, uh, you know, I, I see a bunch of throws behind the line of scrimmage. I'm just like, what in the world is this? What is happening? Um, and, and it's just bizarre, man. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out. I, I can't even imagine, um, you know, Coach Sweeney's frustration again of, of seeing something happen in practice of what you think you're going to get and then to, to just not translate to the field has to be unbelievably frustrating. My interpretation of the Duke game, of them going to the side-to-side stuff, as you said, is that when you see your quarterback airmail uh, a, a screen like 10 feet above a guy's head and then he hits a safety in the chest – yeah. yeah. Uh, on, on a seam ball, I think that's when you say, okay, we've got we to back it down because you know yeah. what his sort of tendencies might be when he gets a little too freaked out. Sure. But I just 
I, I still I can't really understand. I guess with the offensive line, tell me tell me if this is valid to you. You mentioned just in college football in general, not as much hitting as before in practice, yep. and particularly during camp. There are two scrimmages. That's it. Mm-hmm. And usually it's just one big one. And then the second right. one is like they fine-tune some stuff and do some situational things. Offensive line is the group that needs the most live reps to develop cohesion yep. and to and to move as one and all that. And then you add in new offense, by the way, with Garrett yeah. Riley, all the all the GT counter stuff. That, I mean, they didn't run near the volume of that before, I don't think. Right. Right. And then you throw in Walker Parks's injury. And I wonder if, you know, looking back, you know, with, with, with 2020 hindsight, we could maybe say more realistic, the more realistic evaluation or timetable or trajectory of this offensive line is maybe saying, okay, mid season maybe is when they should be really starting to, um, starting to develop what you, what you saw, you know, uh, glimpses of during August camp. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I, it does. And I think kind of something you were, were kind of alluding to, but I, I do feel like offensive line play in general um, across the country has, you know, declined with all these new rules and, and practice, you know, kind of, you know, limitations uh, just because simply you, you can't practice as physical as you need to play within those trenches uh, just by the rules. And, you know, we've seen that translate to the NFL as well, where, I mean, they're, they dying to find quality offensive linemen and, and looking in, in all shapes and sizes and trying to figure this thing out. So it has only made the position even harder um, to be able to develop that chemistry, to be able to play as one. To be, And then when you throw in an injury uh, and, and this new guy comes in, it is not – I mean, people think that <laughs> – some people, I'm not throwing everybody into this, but some people think that offensive line is offensive line and that – you know, if you play right tackle, surely you can play left guard and, and vice versa. It can't be that hard, right? Um, there, there are so many little idiosyncrasies of that from communication to footwork to hand placement to, you know, alignment to, you know, even just different leg that is forward and backward and, and you know, kind of alignment of your stance. I mean, it, it is so different. And then when you add in a different person that you've never done it with, that changes everything with with timing and and again kind of you know footing placement when you're trying to do a double team because oh this guy actually has a little bit bigger step than the other guy so I have to close this down even further it, it's hard to practice we don't have enough time to practice that with all 15 if that's how many offensive linemen they have at different positions different units together and so when you do have the injuries and Clemson has had relatively revolving door you can probably tell me you know better of how many starting five or or combinations of five that they've had out there in these last two or three games it's not easy and and that is certainly something that I think has exacerbated this problem of you don't have that cohesion different guys for different plays and you you don't really have a true five uh, that you can rely on to go in and go get you a yard I mean at the end of the day yeah, I mean, you go into the season and it sounds good to say, yeah, we got Colin Sadler and Tristan Lee alternating at left tackle. Um, but when they're alternating and they're basically sharing the snaps, I think Marcus Tate even said, the left guard, Marcus Tate, told us a few weeks ago, yeah, it is an adjustment when you have a different guy to your left, you know, yeah. when it's kind of alternating. And so that inhibits some of that cohesion. And then also when your depth isn't what you need it to be. When Mitchell Mays, fourth-year guy, Eric, yeah. he, I was stunned that he started against Miami. Nothing against the kid, yeah. but he played like eight snaps against Wake Forest. I was just really surprised that he trotted out there against yeah. Miami instead of Harris Sewell. Not that Harris Sewell is a finished product. He's taking his lumps too, but, man, it just uh, that's, the, that's the big problem area right now is right guard. But then again, you see Blake Miller getting whooped. Oh, I, I mean, know. whooped on Bad. the edge. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was rough, man. And, and I think, again, 
you know, it, it's such a, a mindset thing and, and there's different ways that you can approach it. But you know, when you want run into a war daddy, uh, you know, it, it's kind of all hands on deck type of thing. And, and Reuben Bain had his way. I mean, I, I think he had like 11 pressures. I think I saw that, which is bizarre. Wow. Um, I mean, just again, a true freshman, you know, out there going against a true sophomore, you, you'd hope the sophomore can win some reps and, you know, surely he did. I mean, it's not like he's getting whipped, you know, every single play, but the ones that he did, uh, were, were extremely impactful and, and obviously, you know, changed the game. When you're sitting there on the set immediately, I mean, I guess three minutes after Cade has that sprint <laughs> to the sideline. I mean, I know you're trying to smile and laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is it like in your mind? Are you pissed? Are yeah. you are you feeling like legitimately hot, or or are you learning to just sort of let it roll off your back and you got a job to do and it's not as big yeah. of a deal as it used to be? No, man. It, it, I tell you, the one thing, again, about being a, a, an offensive line, a, a dad, a husband, a, a man in society is we got to take the bad stuff and just absorb it. You just got to <laughs> take it in, man. And, and you can't show it. You got to always you know, be strong and, and have on your good face. But, um, you know, kind of joking about that kind of serious. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I've got to be happy for Miami. I've got to celebrate Coach, Coach Cristobal and talk about what an amazing win for their culture and, you know, spin it to the positive. You know, I, I, I unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, you know, don't work for the Clemson network. I work for the ACC network. And, and so, you know, I, I think that it's certainly something that, um, you know, has is, is, is helped me over the years, as bad as that sounds. But Clemson, you know, losing or not playing well at first, you know, back in the day, it was tough and, and it did suck. And it, it was something that, you know, you're still emotionally relatively tied to. Uh, but yeah, now I, I can kind of bottle all that up and wait till I get home to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so you go out to your hotel room and trash the place? Oh, yeah. Just go nuts, man. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> It's funny, you know, Herb Street, you know, like he gets a lot of, he gets grief from both sides. He gets grief from people who claim he's an Ohio State homer, but Ohio State fans are just vicious to him to the point where I think he had to move to Nashville or something just to get away from it in Columbus. Just crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. And I I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, people, I, I will never be able to get away from being called a Clemson homer if someone doesn't like my take. Um, or, or if I say something about their team, uh, that, that, that may, they don't agree with, that's going to be their first line of defense. Um, but it is funny to me, Larry, that when I do say positive things, Oh, Emac knows football. This guy, this guy right here, <laughs> he knows what the heck he's talking about. I'm like, yeah, cause I said something nice about your team. As soon as I say something bad, I'm, I'm back to the dump. So you take it with a grain of salt, man. I, I, I love every interaction I get on social media. Uh, I have been fortunate enough. Maybe it's it's the, you know, not quite, not not quite, not even close to the fame that he's at. But you know that level and, and different things to where I, I have never had an interaction that was threatening or, or over the top of you know calling out my my family or something like that. So every interaction I've had, man, I'm, I'm thankful for it, and, and obviously that means people are watching and paying attention. Upstate foodies want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails, super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willie Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willie way. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. 
Scott's office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. You've already said Clemson could still turn it around, have a good season, but just in general, big picture, what do you think needs to be, what do you think needs to change for them to get back sort of on a trajectory to what they're used to? Or was that, or was the, were those heights just the stars aligning and uh, just a, a remarkable sort of convergence of getting yeah. a bunch of five stars and, and, right. and, and, and getting the Hunter Renfro's of the, of the world. Right. Well, the, well, there's only one Hunter Renfro of the world, but anyway, <laughs> That's right. I'm just, you, know, you, you get where I'm going. Like what's your overall take on where this program is and where it needs to, to go? Yeah, I, I do think that there is something to, um, just the unbelievable run that Clemson went on and how difficult that is for anybody. I mean, look across the country. There are slim to none that have been able to replicate that and to, to, to have the success uh, you know, that, that Clemson has had. It, it's hard for that to be the standard. Now, of course, in the moment, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to say. Uh, but we, we just know that that quite isn't realistic, man, for, for anybody, for blue bloods that have been doing it way longer. Uh, than you even um, still cannot stay at that type of staying power. Um, and so I think it's it's fun to to talk about that and to have those great memories. But you know, at the end of the day, you, you do want to compete. And, and surely that can still be your ultimate goal is, is to play and win national championships. Um, but I think it, it will take adjusting with the times. I, I think that, you know, going to the transfer portal is something that just has to be done. It, it, it is nearly impossible uh, to, to see how a, a true freshman can come in and impact your team more than a developed 22-year-old man who has known success, has been there, done that. And I, I think you look at Florida State. What, what what year was it when we were down at Doe Campbell and just beat them, the worst 18, loss? 18. So you go from that to, to – arguably better talent in a five-year gap. How is that? That's not high school recruiting. That's going out and getting these grown men. And, you know, it's filling gaps. It's filling voids uh, that can help you right now, not three years from now. And and so I think a little bit of a different approach there um, will be necessary. Now, if if they do it or not, it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, And and I think I'll say kind of this too. Coach Sweeney's absolute greatest – best, um, whatever other adjective you wanted to lay out there is his loyalty. But it also at times can be the greatest weakness because if they miss and if they, you know, just if there's a guy that they brought in and, you know, he's just not quite what they thought it was, you're there for four years till you graduate. You've got that. He's not going to be a guy that ever tells people, you probably should go somewhere else. You're never going to play here. Um, and, and so th- there's not going to be that influx of availability of going out and getting people in the portal. But, you know, certainly you would love to see some supplementation, some just addition, you know, at key pieces uh, to help with depth, to help with competition, and to ultimately just get you in an older, more experienced place as you go on in these football seasons. The detail things we talked about. You were on uh, Joe Giglio's podcast earlier this week, and you were talking about, you know, what was lost when Brent Venables left. Yeah, geez. I think I think it's pretty obvious just looking at the sideline alone during games. Not even we're not talking about practice. Yeah, Dabo's more involved on the defensive side. Um, uh, you know, just just it's different. You know, Venables yeah. Venables, I just brought that fire that. Um, uh, ben Bulware always said he was scared of the, the the thing that scared him. The most terrifying side of his life on or off the field was looking to the sideline and seeing that white <laughs> foam in the corner of Venable's <laughs> mouth. <laughs> when you don't have that, 
Yeah. Then that, and your head coach is going to try to bring that, you know, yep. to sort of fill the void. Is it your conclusion? Is it logical to say, well, that's how some of these detail things get sort of uncovered to the yeah. extent that they should be? No, no, no doubt. Um, you know, I, I think that it, it would be foolish, right? And, and just quite frankly, dumb for someone to sit here and say that Clemson doesn't miss Coach B. I mean, it's just asinine to say that because of the experience, because of the success, because of the passion, the recruiting, who he is as a man. I mean, it was essentially like having another head coach as a part of your program. I mean, I don't know if that was ever his title, but, you know, I always viewed him as number two, you know, the, the second guy in command. And that's a, an amazing thing to have. Um, that, that That's obviously, you know, you have your top leader, you have your top CEO, but you've got to have other C's too, kind of on that staff that, that can delegate and, and take care of things. And I mean, you tell me, cause obviously you're there way more. I've been to two Clemson games in five years, um, you know, just with the job, but that it, it is what it feels like to me. It, it feels like that when coach V was there, he didn't even have to look at the defense if he didn't want to, that was fine. That was handled. It was taken care of from every different level. And now it does feel like every time I see on the TV copy, he's in a huddle and, and that's hard. That's hard to be spread so thin um, and, and have to do these different things. So there's no question in my mind, though, you know, he, he's one of the best to ever do it. Um, it's just this adjustment period and, and figuring it out and bringing in a new staff and changing of, you know, different guys that, you, you know, you've been with for 10 years, whatever it was, and, and reevaluating and changing how you do things. So uh, I surely think they, that they will figure it out. It's just going to be a, a timing thing. How long does it take? Last question, I think. <laughs> you know, Dabo is very smart man, very calculating. As yep. you know, what he says in front of the media and what he says behind closed doors can be vastly sure. different. Um, do you, like if you were to, I mean, you're a former player. If you're sitting down with him casually in his office and you say, man, what is going on? You know, yep. what, what, what's do you think his answers to you would be the same as he's giving publicly or would you... Or not? You know, I, I think fundamentally, he, he w- what you see is what you get with him always. Um, but sure, I mean, he might go into a little bit more detail of, of some things than others just because of the nature of the relationship and, and things of that nature that, you know, he, he obviously a lot of trust between the two of us. Um, but I couldn't give you an example of anything over the top, like e- even probably the most uh, interesting thing would be the DJ situation. He, he has never said anything different to me behind closed doors than what he said publicly about it. And, you know, I think that probably would be the, the greatest example and probably what Clemson fans maybe hope there was something different. Um, but there, there's not, man. What you see is what you get with that guy. Uh, unbelievable leader and, you know, master motivator that, that's just, again, it's, it's a different world right now. And, and Clemson is, is just trying to find a way to navigate in it. He called out Klubnik the other night in a way he never did DJ. And I don't know sure. if DJ ever made that precise type of mistake, but it was interesting, the contrast. Yeah. I think he was trying to protect DJ. DJ just had a hellish situation back home with his yeah. dad and all that. I think yeah. Dad was trying to be a father figure to him, and that's probably why. Is that what you think, too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that and not sure what's public, what's not public with, with the whole situation. But I, I do think that was so different. Um, and, and, you know, just like you said, an, an awful situation at the end of the day that, you know, he did protect DJ. And, and I think that, uh, you know, he has never had anything but good things and wishing him success uh, for success. And I think it is nice to, to see that, you know, DJ is in a system now where, you know, he can do things that fit his skill set and, you know, he's having success over there. And that's amazing. And you won't find a bigger fan than Coach Dabo Sweeney. Uh, as as bad as some people try to make that situation or as negative or, or whatever people try to do there, uh, it, it is nothing but absolute love uh, from Coach Dabo Sweeney to DJ. Last question. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you're Brandon Streeter right now in Athens, in the box, wherever he is. What what are you looking over here at Clemson, and what 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 do you think he's saying? Obviously, you have no idea. I'm, I, yeah. I don't I don't think you have insight into that. I'm just I'm just if you're in his shoes, you you were given one year 
Yeah. As one year as OC. You're a Clemson guy, man. You're beloved. And you got, got shown the door. Do you think he's – would you be looking over going, yep, see, there were more problems than just me? Yeah. You know, it's uh, – I think I know Coach Streeter pretty well. And, um, you know, obviously it's a horrible situation anytime you have to fire a coach. But when you have to fire a guy that – you know, has been in the, the, these players' shoes, has, has an, an award named after him um, in your program, all these different things. That, that's tough, and that's brutal. And I can only imagine the conversations that they had. Um, and, I, and I hope he's he's at peace with it. Obviously compensated. I, I don't know what that looks like, but paid for or what he was due and all those different things. But uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think he's truly looking at the future. Um, looking at what's next, how can he become a better coach, better coordinator, better play caller, better quarterback coach? Um, I, I don't know if there's any spitefulness there of where he's he's kind of looking at that situation. Now, maybe yeah. he and his wife at night, you know, laying in bed, maybe. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. It's just an interesting perspective, just given the background. I, I'm not sure. insinuating that he's mad or anything like that. Sure, sure. Just, uh, Eric, man, when I come on yours and Roddy's show, I give you maybe 10 minutes of my time. You give me an hour. That's not an even trade. So I owe you lunch or a beer or something when we see no. each other next time. No, I appreciate you. This was a lot of fun, man. Great conversation. And uh, let's do it again when 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 Clemson's feeling good and rolling. That, that'll be a more fun conversation. <laughs> I'll put it on the calendar. Well, I don't know when there that's going to happen. But anyway, whenever <laughs> it happens, we'll do it. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you, man. Eric McLean living in Columbia. Very interesting. Did not know that. Really great perspective all the way around from him. I learned a lot. Really did. So appreciate his time. Also, thanks to the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And, of course, thanks to everyone for listening. Really appreciate it. Cheers.